Hi, I'm Mac. Hi, I'm Abigail. And this is Unsubs. This is the podcast where we recap each episode of Criminal Minds. We also read each episode and have an in-depth discussion. Today we're recapping Season 1, Episode 3, Won't Get Fooled Again. Uh, Instead of calling it Fool Me Once or something. It's a reference to a song, apparently. Oh, really? Okay. Well, then I'll shut my trap. Um, (laughs) We always start each episode by giving you a fact about us. And my fact today is that I just absolutely abhor cream cheese. I just, I can't. Like, I don't want to touch it. Like, if my husband eats a bagel with cream cheese, I'm like, you got to wash the plate. Like, I just, I can't. I'm sorry. I just can't. My fun fact is not about me exactly, but it's the fact that I can't keep, I can't not think about the fact that shrimp can see colors we can't. What? Shrimp can see colors we can't see. Like what type of shrimp? Like shrimp. And they can see colors that we can't see? Yeah, apparently shrimp can see colors we can't see. That's that's awesome. A disclaimer, we are not in any way associated with the television show Criminal Minds or any of the source material of Criminal Minds. We are just fans and we're not laying claim to any of it. And before we get started on the recap, let's just review our rating criteria. We're going to rate it on five different topics. Those topics are criminal slash serial killer, character development and character arcs for our main cast. The forensics and context of the crime, the script writing, and background characters as in like the special, more unique characters that come into these specific episodes, like guest stars and stuff. Oh, I hate, I hate this guy's fucking name. I hate this guy's fucking name. I hate it so much. And I'm going to say it so many times. Okay, here we go. Here's the plot discussion of Won't Get Fooled Again. We're in Palm Beach, Florida, where an angry Joe Reese confronts Gil Clerman. Yes, Clerman. They did him so dirty with that name. They did. Um, And he's walking to... Clerman is... Clerman is walking to his car holding a cardboard box. It looks like, like, um, like an Amazon package. Mr. Clerman has been ignoring Mr. Reese's calls, and Reese threatens Clerman. Then the box Clerman is holding explodes, and it blows off Clerman's legs. And I wrote, he screams his heart out. He does. Cut to BAU headquarters in Quantico, Virginia. We learned that Clerman's attack was the second bombing this morning, both in Palm Beach. They're determined to be pipe bombs packed in cardboard boxes and delivered by hand. They are detonated when the unsuspecting victim tilts or lifts the package. And we have a little bit on the profile of bombers. 
according to Criminal Minds, bombers are mostly male. They're usually loners. They have a history of criminal activity. And another thing they mention is like bombs slash blowing things up is like an emotional or sexual release. Bombers fall into like separate categories. So there's terrorists uh, who, you know, like target big groups of people. And then there's like the politically motivated who will go to like a specific location. And then like specifics of like, you know, for profit or for crime. 50% of bombings are products of vandalism. Bombers often end up blowing themselves up, and they also talk about how bombers are cowards. So, Derek Morgan has ATF, which is alcohol, tobacco, and firearms experience, so he stays behind to analyze the bomb fragments while the rest of the team heads to Florida. So far, the victims of this um, bomber, serial bomber? Yeah. Barbara Keller, a 74-year-old widow who is shown to be in a wheelchair, which just makes you really sad. Barbara comes up a lot in this episode. Shout out, Barbara. Um, Clerman, who was the one we saw who actually survived. And Jill Swenson, a 34-year-old housewife who lived across the street from Clerman. So Clerman is discovered to be a partner in a $10 million condo development deal, which went bust. And apparently Barbara Keller was an investor. So this is cited as a possible motive, a link between the victims. To my knowledge in the episode, they don't really tie Jill Swenson into anything, but obviously she's um, Clerman's neighbor. In Florida, the BAU questions why the package didn't go off when Clerman initially picked it up because he was able to get it all the way to his car. They use bombs to detonate really easily, so they suspect Clerman. BAU and the Florida ATF search Clerman's house. The ATF actually finds the anarchist companion and what appears to be pipe bomb material in Clerman's garage. We find out like maybe five minutes later. So I'm just going to tell you guys now the book and materials belong to Clarence's nephew. Meanwhile, Spencer Reed and Jason Gideon question Clarence in the hospital. Clarence tells Reed and Gideon that he actually feels bad that the $10 million deal went bust. Um, and he just seems pretty sincere. So Gideon and Reed both think that he's innocent. And then he starts, like, screaming about his foot again. And they said that he had a sense of humor, and I was like, I think he's, like, actually distressed. Yeah, he seemed pretty upset. It was pretty, it was It was a little, like, hard to watch. I was like, oh, God. Back at BAU headquarters in Virginia, Morgan teaches Penelope Garcia about why reconstructing each bomb is important, because bombers leave signatures. We haven't really talked too much about signatures, but we will more. Also, did you notice how, like, when Morgan is talking about bombs, he goes, boom, boom, boom. And there are all these quick shots of it. That's <laughs> funny. Um, Garcia uses Tetris, ever heard of it, to put the rest of the bomb together. 
And this leads Morgan to realize that the bomb is actually a copycat of a bomb constructed by Adrian Bale. Bale caused the Boston bombing alluded to in the first episode that killed six FBI agents and put Gideon in medical leave. At the Palm Beach headquarters, Al Greenaway, Hotch, and JJ, Jennifer Giroux, uh, scrutinized the details of the victims' lives to try to find a connection. Hotch declares himself a nerd because he had a coin collection when he was younger, which I just <laughs> thought was pretty funny. Morgan advises Hotch that if the copycat bomber is copying Adrian Bale's bombs, he's also likely copying the delivery method, which would be the cardboard boxes, but specifically the address labels that Bale used were in all caps and in blue ink. JJ sets up a press conference to advise the public to be on the lookout for that. Meanwhile, Gideon and Reed visit Adrian Bale in prison. Gideon questions Bale, who leaves his mouth open a lot, I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> like the actor's choice is like to show that I'm deranged. I'm just going to have my mouth open all the time. Bale asks Gideon why Gideon trusted him. Um, again, our good friend, the homicidal triad comes up. Bale mocks Gideon. Um, now we can get to what I really want to discuss. <laughs> So we cut to a mother and a daughter in their house watching the press conference that JJ is putting on about the... Can I just say, at the beginning of this scene, the way the mother moves is so bizarre. Like, when she's in the background and it's like you see the little girl watching the TV and then the mom's in the background. Rewatch it and look at the way that she's moving. Because I was like, are you doing the worm vertically? This whole scene is bizarre, um, and it shouldn't be. I, I just, I don't know what was happening with this. It's a mother and a daughter, and they're watching the press conference that JJ is putting on, specifically about the boxes and the identifying characteristics of the all caps and the blue ink. Um, the little girl asks her mother, when is daddy coming back? And the mother says, tomorrow. He has to get the beach house ready for the next guests. So that makes it sound like, oh, they're like Airbnb hosts, even though I know Airbnb wasn't like really a thing. Maybe it's like a timeshare or something. Yeah, because then she asked her daughter if she unpacked her suitcase yet. And the little girl says, no, I don't know. I don't I don't have kids, but like it just seems a little weird that they would like leave vacation like the mother and the daughter would leave early just to leave like- it was weird it it was weird and I, why was this the like casual conversation that needed to happen i don't know someone explained to me explain like i'm five um so the little girl basically finds the next bomb so we hear her saying Oh, mom, there's a package for you. It's got block lettering. And the mom's like, oh, my God. And there's this dramatic slow motion shot of her, like, dropping an egg. <laughs> the little girl has to stand still and hold the box. But if you look very closely, the box is tilted. Let's take a quick break. Have you ever wondered what the band ACDC has to do with the missing town of Dublin, Wisconsin? Or who gets to decide what music plays at the end of the world? 
or whether or not the largest unsolved art heist in history was actually a cover for a different crime. Maybe you haven't wondered about these things, but that's okay. On 31, we dive into strange, true, but often lesser-known stories and the interesting theories that surround them. From space to sports, lost media to internet lore, 31 has something for everyone. Find 31 on your favorite podcast platform and dive into the why behind the weird with me, Quinn Lovecraft. 31, the why behind the weird. And then this little girl is like really trying to act. She's like, it's heavy. (laughs) I can't. I can't. It's too heavy. (laughs) Anyways, we meet like my favorite background character of the episode. I wrote Balty McBomb Squad. They specifically say ATF Dan Tracy. um, But wouldn't he be in like the bomb squad? Yeah, he would have had to have been in the bomb squad as if I know how these work. But that's what I'm assuming. And he is sweating. (laughs) He is sweating. The little girl's like, it's heavy. They've like, gotta get the mom out of there. And he's like, you gotta go. And And the mom's like, I'm a mother. He's like, come on, sweetie, put the box down. (laughs) Just this up close shot of like him just sweating. And he's like raising like uh, some sort of like stand to catch the bomb so the little girl can let go. Um, but the bomb is tilted, so really in this scenario, like, the little girl is dead. Um, but anyway, Tracy saves the day. Elle finds out that Barbara Keller was meeting with an antiquities dealer. She had a coin collection that she was having issues insuring. She was going to meet with an antiquities dealer named David Walker, so Elle goes to meet with him to see specifically, like, why this woman was having a hard time with the coins. Meanwhile, Reed discovers that Bale has been getting around the prison security system by breaking um, into an internet firewall. Bale is able to log on to the library computers and, and he accesses message boards without leaving a paper trail. So Reed asks Penelope Garcia, Office of Supreme Genius, to hack into Bale's internet account Garcia's like, he's got a, I've got to download a virus to his computer. So they create an email with a subject line that Bale is going to click on. The line they come up with is sexy, willing teen, hot for inmate. <laughs> XXX. Oh my God. Awful. He clicks on it and it downloads a virus to the computer. Bale posts to a message board on a site called NaughtyHobbies.net, which is apparently a message board for bomb enthusiasts. Naughty Hobbies? That sounds more of like a sexual kind of thing than like yes. crime, violence. Agreed. Like, but anyway, I guess it's specifically for bomb enthusiasts. And he writes, to all my friends out there, beware. They're on to you. And Garcia makes a list of all the users who accessed NaughtyHoppies.net and saw this post. And Gideon notices that one of the users is David Walker, who was the antiquities dealer that Elle was about to meet with. I also just love that they were like, well, look at all of the professions of everyone who's like on this website. It was like security guard. 
something else. And he's like, Antiquities Dealer. And Gideon's like, wait, Antiquities Dealer? <laughs> also, it was like one of those things where you have to sign up and put in your information. So only a third of the people had. And Gideon was like, he he's proud of his job. He will have put in that information, which I was like, oh, that's that's fucking smart. We cut to Elle at the Walker house. Mrs. Walker brings Elle to the garage in the back of the house where David Walker is. It's very like boomer humor. You know what I mean? She tells Elle, quote, not to marry the first man who proposes. And then also says about her husband, I hope he's not committing suicide. I won't be able to collect the life insurance. Yes! <laughs> and I'm just like, what? <laughs> oh my gosh. Then there's a vrooming of a car, and then Mr. Walker runs his wife over with his car. It's all out of left field. <laughs> yeah, so the BAU investigates Walker's shed slash workshop. Um, they discover that Walker was faking dates on the coins to make money. He was in jail, I think, for like 20 years for forgeries. Then he opens like an antiquities shop. So all of the stuff in there are forgeries. But Barbara Keller, when she was trying to insure the coins she bought from him, found out that they were fake and she was going to report him. She was the real target. Everyone else was kind of just in the line of fire. Back at Florida headquarters, Walker has kidnapped a man, strapped a bomb device to his neck, and sent him into the headquarters. Dan Tracy is back on the case. There's a three-hour timer, and the bomb is just too sophisticated. So Tracy narrows it down to two wires, and they have to consult Bale for help because it's like his design. Walker blows himself up. Um, and well, and before he does, we see a flashback of him, like, hitting his wife with the car. Oh, my God. Gideon uses reverse psychology on Bale to determine how to uh, defuse Walker's bomb. Um, yeah, and that's, that's all I wrote. Okay, so we already got a lot of the bomber kind of information thought it was really interesting to do a little research about copycat crimes and killers because that's very much what this was. So a copycat crime is a criminal act that is modeled or inspired by a specific previous crime. This term was actually coined in 1916, which shocked me, um, due to crimes that were inspired by Jack the Ripper. And criminologists have speculated that media coverage has played a really big role in inspiring other criminals to commit crimes or acts of a similar fashion. So most people who mimic crimes after seeing them in the media, news, or violent movies usually already have a criminal record, severe mental health issues, and violence. The media is actually more of like indirect influence rather than a direct influence or cause. Additionally, most copycat killers are intent on shock value. 
So they want high media coverage because high media coverage means that they will get a high volume of attention, which is ultimately what they want. This is taken directly from Wikipedia. The norms, heroes, antiheroes, and spectacles of the time and place also influence how the crime is committed. Whereas in the Middle Ages, the crimes would be associated with the devil, snakes, or witches. It is the public interest that sparks what crime might be committed. Oh, so because they didn't, obviously we didn't have like television um, and news like we have the 24-hour news cycle in the Middle Ages. They were still kind of acting out these things, but they were saying, oh, the devil or like that, that, that makes sense. It was still like public, uh, like pop culture, pop culture for like, you know, lack of a better term. So they were still doing things that would be recognized to be influenced or inspired by something else. Wow, that's great. Additionally, there's more. I have more. (laughs) So those who are less emotionally developed will be more likely to commit crimes that they see on TV. Most offenders likely to be influenced by these characteristics are usually under the age of 25. So you're younger, more impressionable, which is not what we saw in this episode. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, that is, I mean, he looks like he's got to be in his mid-40s or 50s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So prevention. The most important thing would be, like, non-sensationalistic language when communicating or broadcasting about violent events. So, like, avoiding the release of details on methods of crimes, names, etc., Avoid perpetration of cliches and stereotypes. Emphasis on the crimes and the loved ones who lost their families. And also, like, including helplines, which I thought was really interesting. And I feel like, you know, this is a conversation that I feel like we, especially being the ages we are, heard a lot of, like, oh, well, violent video games make you violent. Like, violent movies and TV shows make you violent. I feel like that was a narrative that was pushed a lot when we were like, especially back when I was like in school and everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, that was my little deep dive. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, let's, let's get to a little bit of trivia. So um, actor Scott Conte, Conte, sorry if I'm pronouncing it wrong, Scott, um, who was ATF Dan Tracy, which we discussed should have been like bomb squad boss Dan Tracy, and Joan Blair, who played Mrs. Walker, who was run over. They were both in the TV show Monk, which I thought was really cool. Oh, interesting. And Tom Virtue, who played Clerman has been in three different seasons of American Horror Story. What? Season two, season five, and season six. And I was really tempted to, like, go and, like, give a summary of the episodes he's in, but I looked at the first one, and I was like, it's just, there's too much. I can't. I can't get into it. Wait, wait. I want to see who he played. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Okay, so, yeah, he was up priest a principal 
and reporter. Nice. <laughs> cool. Cool. And most famously, Clerman. 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 Um, let's uh let's rate this episode. Um, what did you think about the criminal, um, the serial bomber being David? Actually, I guess we can consider both David Walker and I'm forgetting his name. Yeah, Adrian Bale. I thought Bale was interesting. Yeah. I just didn't like all the mouthy stuff. It was just like, I got my jaw hanging out. I thought he was an interesting character. I wish we saw more of Walker. Because I feel like I feel like he could have been more compelling had we got to have more actual screen time of him where we could like see his face. Yeah, I mean we really just see like the only things we really know about him is that he is a forger. Um his wife hates him, and I guess he hates his wife because he ran her over. Yeah, like, but there's, like, no psychology conversation about him. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Bale really kind of, like, takes over with that. Um, Yeah. What do you think about, like, a 10? Yeah, I'd say it's a 10 because it was an interesting story arc. Like, I was genuinely really interested in where this was going to go. Okay. Um, What about, speaking of arcs, what about character development slash character arcs? I would say 10 again. It was fine. It was, again, kind of like a little bit of a plateau, but me and Taken got to do some cool reverse psychology and stuff. Yeah, actually, we did see a lot of... um, I cut a lot of this out because I was just like, you know, whatever. Um, He does spend a lot of time confronting Bale, and Bale is like the cause of... has been the cause of a lot of hurt for him. So I feel like it was therapeutic for him. So definitely give him a 10. A lot of catharsis for Mandy. Also, like the forensics in context, I think you really brought like a whole nother side to this that wasn't really explored at all in the episode. And obviously they can't explore every single avenue. But you definitely brought a lot that they didn't have. Um, and like you said, there wasn't really psychology around David Walker. Um, so I think we should reflect that in this score for forensics and content. What would you give it? I don't know. Like maybe a five? Mm-hmm. For script writing, what do you think? I think the frame of this episode was really interesting, but the execution was not phenomenal. Um, so I would say maybe like a seven or a ten. Let's go. Let's go seven. Yeah. And background characters. I think though. I mean, we really just got to know um, ATF Trace. I don't know. There were a lot of characters that got like you know a few moments. I I like that whole daughter mother thing. Like yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know. Like fifteen. Yeah. Okay. So forty-seven. Yeah, and I'm not saying I didn't enjoy these episodes. I did enjoy watching them. It just it's we're still coming into our own, just like the show is in this early season. Exactly. 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 
on social media, um, Instagram at Unsubs uh, Podcast, and our website will be linked in the show notes. Follow my blog, yournewapartment.tumblr.com, and my podcast, which is on hiatus, uh, Your New Apartment, on all of your favorite streaming services. And you can find my podcast, Between Stage and Screen, on all of your favorite podcast listening platforms, as well as the Instagram page, Between the Stage and Screen podcast. Thanks for joining us, guys. Uh, we'll see you next week. Alrighty, farewell.